Welcome to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh, a place to chow down on topics relevant to writers of all kinds. Hello, and welcome to Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh. I'm Marissa, and I'm just going to get this out there right now. This hasn't been one of those weeks during which I've had a topic in mind that I'm just burning to do more research on. It's still a little hard for me to think about writing right now. I don't need to tell you that these are trying times. Although, if you listen to this podcast regularly, first of all, thank you, but You probably know that I've been saying something along those lines at the start of just about every recent episode. So we're seeing over 50,000 cases of COVID per day in the U.S. right now. And record numbers of cases in my state and quite possibly yours, too. And things should not have gotten to this point. But here we are. And yeah. It gets to you. If it's getting to you, I hope you have someone close to that you can talk to. Even if you're not physically with them and need to talk to them virtually, that's something. This is not the time to keep your feelings to yourself. And for all you know, they may be going through the same type of thing you are. So do that. Check on the people who are close to you. In this country, we've prided ourselves on being rugged individualists for so many years. And look where it's gotten us. But there's more we can do. You can, I don't know if it's getting to you, you can limit your exposure to social media, which as you probably know, is a hotbed of negative energy right now. For some reason, I don't find Twitter quite as draining as Facebook, but even there, it's very easy to get carried away. I'm not telling you to avoid it. I mean, I'm certainly not avoiding it. Just keep a close eye on the amount of time you spend there and what you do there. The energy you expend arguing with someone you'll never meet in real life, I mean, they could even be a troll for all you know, could be better spent on a more constructive pursuit. Like, oh, I don't know, helping to promote works by up-and-coming artists, or volunteering to help protesters, or people who are affected by COVID, or reaching out to your representatives about the many issues affecting us on a daily basis. A question I'm dealing with pretty regularly is, to what extent are we allowed to make ourselves feel better and escape if we have to? Don't get me wrong. I think we have an obligation to stay informed about what's going on. But watching the news 24-7 can be a little too much to handle these days. And going back to social media, 
there's probably at least one person you can think of who's constantly expressing outrage over the latest thing the president said, or the latest person who's been caught on camera throwing a tantrum over being asked to wear a mask. Maybe you're that person. The prolific social media poster, I mean. Not the person throwing a fit over masks. I mean, really, I hope you're not the person who doesn't want to wear the mask. It's good to be angry. But how angry is too angry? I don't know the answer to that. But it's something I've wondered about for years. In the past, I've questioned whether turning to quote-unquote escapist art forms, including literature, is the thing to do during stressful times. But now that we're living in such stressful times, I think it's a more important question than ever. What relevance does so-called escapist literature have in today's world? And should writers of quote-unquote escapist literature maybe be writing something else? Now, before I go any further, I need to clarify that I have no intention of passing judgment on any writer or their work when I use the term escapist. I'm mainly going to look at genres that have been considered escapist by critics and cite sources like I usually do. I'm not going to keep saying so-called or quote-unquote, but every time you hear me say the word escapist from here on out, you can imagine me putting air quotes around it. So, what is escapist literature? Hell, what is an escapist? In a post on Pedia.com, a writer named Hassa defines an escapist as someone, quote, who seeks distraction and relief from unpleasant realities, especially in the form of entertainment or fantasy. Unquote. Hassa goes on to describe escapist literature as, quote, fiction that provides a psychological escape from depressing and grave realities of every day by immersing the readers in a fantastical or imaginative situations and events, unquote, and points out that the primary goal of this type of literature is to offer, quote, an imaginative entertainment for readers rather than provoking serious and critical thoughts and addressing social issues, unquote. Hassa distinguishes escapist literature from classics. And I think that obviously, you can also distinguish it from contemporary novels that deal with heavier topics, such as social or political issues, as well as nonfiction. Some genres in which you might find literature that's considered escapist are romance, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, mystery, pulp fiction, by which I mean the genre, not the Tarantino film, etc. 
Hasse notes that the term escapist is usually used in a derogatory way, which implies that it's inferior to more serious works, but points out that this type of literature may actually benefit readers in the sense that it might offer relief to readers trying to deal with the stress in their lives and also to inspire their imaginations. I think that description of escapist literature and its benefits is pretty comprehensive. I would go further and point out that a lot of people start writing because they are inspired by books that made a major impact on them, a lot of which fall into this escapist category. I've met writers who've been big fans of sci-fi or horror since they were kids. And if you were to ask them what most inspired them to start writing themselves, they'd probably say Stephen King or Anne Rice or Philip K. Dick or whomever. Same thing with romance writers. I don't really know a lot of romance authors off the top of my head, but, you know, same idea. If you think those benefits are important, and I would argue that they are, you can say that escapist literature is really a gift that can keep on giving. And what they're giving is something that delivers a lot of relief and inspiration to a lot of people. For that reason alone, anyone who dismisses escapist literature really is just exposing what they don't know. It's their issue. But a dismissive attitude toward escapist literature also ignores the fact that a lot of works considered escapist are far from devoid of the issues that are more commonly associated with highbrow literature. Granted, that may not have always been the case. For example, in a piece on the history of the romance novel that I'm including a link to in the show notes, Amanda Pagan points out the first best-selling gay romance novel, Gordon Merrick's The Lord Won't Mind, was published in 1970. Before that, she notes that romance novels largely featured straight heroes and heroines, and, as Pagan also notes, those heroines were mostly portrayed as housewives or mothers until the 1950s and 60s. This is not to say that gay and lesbian fiction didn't exist before then. For example, Jean Genet was certainly writing before 1970. But he was an outcast for much of his life. His works were considered controversial during his time, and even now, if I were to go into a bookstore in the hopes of finding, say, Carell or Our Lady of the Flowers, God, how I miss those days when I could spend a lot of time just browsing in a bookstore. Although I wouldn't have minded a little social distancing from some of the other customers. I won't get into that right now. I wouldn't even bother checking the romance section. I would search under literary fiction, or something along those lines. And even today, in this age when nothing is really shocking anymore, 
some of the details in Genet's novels might be considered, well, shocking, at least in comparison to a gay romance novel. My point is that gay romance novels and themes that may have been considered controversial in romance novels 60 years ago are pretty common nowadays. And even if their authors find ways to incorporate traditional themes into their works, you're probably still going to find some social issues in them. In which case, can you really say they're purely escapist? The same thing could be said for sci-fi and fantasy. Despite the fact that these have long been considered escapist genres, Joel Cunningham states that these genres have addressed social issues for decades. According to Cunningham, quote, the fantastical elements of genre from alien beings to magical ones, allow writers to confront controversial issues in metaphor, granting them a subversive power that often goes unheralded." Unquote. He mentions racial injustice issues, as well as those e involving inequality as topics touched upon by sci-fi and fantasy writers. And environmental issues also have played a prominent role, I would say pretty much throughout the history of sci-fi. The term science fiction includes science, and the type of speculation you normally see in a sci-fi novel is often based on how humans react to their environment in the real world. No matter how fantastical a sci-fi novel may seem, I get the sense that the writer thought long and hard about something humans have done in the real world and imagined, hmm, now if they could do that, maybe they'd be capable of doing this. To me, it seems natural that if you're a writer who wants their reader to make that leap, to consider the unimaginable within the realm of possibility, you're probably going to want to add an element of truth in here and there, precisely to make it more believable. And if you were to read a sci-fi novel and see it as a writer's way of criticizing humans for what they've done to this earth, you may not be too far off the mark. So just because sci-fi can take you to faraway places and can be fun to read, doesn't mean it should be dismissed as lowbrow. The same goes for comic books. That's right, I'm going to talk about comic books for a bit. Why the hell not? <laughs> Someone needs to write them as well as illustrate them. And granted, even though it's probably easier for someone of any age to read a comic book than, say, a novel by Philip Roth or Jonathan Safran Foer, did you know that comic books were pretty much created by Jews in the first half of the 20th century, 
who were unable to get their stories and illustrations into the comic sections of mainstream American newspapers due to the anti-Semitism in the U.S. at the time. Although it's not like I have to remind you that anti-Semitism in the U.S. hasn't exactly gone away. If you want to read a masterpiece of literary fiction about this very phenomenon, and have the time because it is a pretty hefty tome, please, please, please read Michael Chabon's The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. But until then, check out the Ari Kaplan article I'm including a link to in the show notes, in which he points out that although there really was nothing obviously Jewish about the superheroes created during that era, whom we still know and love today, these artists included what he calls quote-unquote Jewish signifiers in their works every now and then. For example, Kaplan notes that, quote, Captain America's alter ego, Steve Rogers, could be seen as a symbol for the way Jews were stereotypically depicted as frail and passive. That is, until he took a serum that transformed him into the robust Captain America. The serum was created by Professor Reinstein, an obvious nod to famed Jewish physicist Albert Einstein, unquote. And one of the many reasons the late Stan Lee, whose birth name was Stanley Martin Lieber, was so beloved was that he used Marvel Comics as a platform to condemn racism and bigotry since the 1960s. So as far as I'm concerned, just because comic books appeal to young people doesn't mean that adults who also like them should be viewed as escapists. Which I actually heard a few prominent media figures whose names I'm not going to mention right now try to do after Stan Lee's passing in 2018. I'll just say that I was glad to see those snobs put in their places by other prominent media figures. So, to tie all this up and return to my original questions, it's probably pretty obvious that I do think that escapist literature does indeed have a big role to play in today's world. If it makes us feel better here and there, in the midst of all the horror and sadness that we see around us, and if it helps to teach people more empathy, which we desperately need more of, it definitely serves a valid purpose. Also, I do not believe writers of escapist literature should be writing something else. If anything, I think maybe it's even time we reconsider the term escapist literature. As from what I can see, even if it doesn't outwardly deal with contemporary socio-political themes, most escapist literature is very likely based on some social issue or other. Therefore, maybe it's not encouraging us to escape from reality 
so much as it's offering us a new set of tools we can use to cope with reality. And one other thing, I really, really wish that we were advanced enough that we still didn't automatically view a novel or story of any genre, escapist or otherwise, that features characters outside the straight, white, Christian, and in some cases male norm, as a type of social justice novel. But since we still have a long way to come, I'm really glad I see so many diverse writers of these genres on Twitter, and I try to promote them whenever I can. And if you're a reader of escapist literature, don't feel you need to give it up in favor of something deeper if you don't want to. And most importantly, don't feel the need to apologize for what you like. Again, if someone wants to judge you for it, it's their problem. And I'd say they have a big one. So tell me, what do you think about escapist literature? What are some of your favorites and why? Email me at marissadelefarfale at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at at marissad13. Remember, I didn't say you had to avoid it. Just be mindful of how much time you spend there and what you do while you're there. And I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, as it'll help a lot more people find out about this show. Until next time, I'm going to leave you with a quote that was popularized by Stan Lee via the Spider-Man comic books. Quote, With great power comes great responsibility. Unquote. I hope this topic has helped you view your powers as a writer and or reader and the responsibilities that come from them in a new light. Thanks for all of the support and feedback. Please, please, please keep it coming. I greatly appreciate it. I'm grateful for your honesty. All of it will help make this show better in the long run. Take care of yourselves. Please stay safe. And peace. This podcast has been brought to you by Anchor, which is the easiest way to make a podcast. Go to anchor.fm for more info.